Foster care is an important part of orphan care. We as a church family invest in adoption and the entire process because we see in it not only the command of God lived out, but a means of living the gospel. The gospel tells us something profound and simple. Profound in that it it means that the God of the universe loves us and has come to make us a part of his family. It's simple because the process is one that we know, it's one that we see, and it's one that we can even participate in, in something like orphan care and foster care that that ultimately leads the, the fatherless into a family where they become a part of something that is bigger than them that shows them love and compassion and provides for them the very framework for which God has created us to be in, that being a family. We are all spiritual orphans at birth. We all long for a father. And what we see in Scripture is this story of of what God has done. The story of, of how we who were once in harmony with God, made to be in harmony with God because of the fall, because of sin, are now separated from our Father. And we're in desperate need of being made whole. And so what did God do? He did what many who adopt do, what many who who enter into the foster care uh, program, what they do is they leave the comforts of their life. And at great sacrifice, they go to a faraway place or to a place of great need. And then they are willing to serve and to meet that need. And it's hard and it hurts. But but God uses that to bring redemption, to bring a, a person, a child who was once an orphan, to make them a part of the family. That's the gospel. That's what God has done for us. God left the comforts of heaven. He came to a faraway land, to a place of desperate need. And and He made great sacrifice so that we could become children in God's family. The three circles gives us this picture of what it is God has done in the reality of the world. God's design is that we be His children, that we love Him and live for Him. The reality is there's a lot of brokenness in our world. Why? Because of sin. Why is there sickness? Why is there conflict? Why is there pain? Because of sin. But God in His grace didn't abandon us in this this place of being fatherless. He did not leave us in this place of brokenness. Instead, Jesus came. God in the flesh came. He left the comforts of heaven to come to a faraway land, to a place of need. And at great sacrifice to Himself on the cross where He died for our sin, He allowed us to be free. And now because He is alive, because He has been raised... We can now repent and believe in Him. Turn away from brokenness and sin. Pursue the good news, the gospel, the love of God. And now we can recover and pursue God's design. And when we do that, when we act in faith and we say, I'm not going to live as an orphan anymore. I'm not going to live in the streets of sin. I'm not going to turn away from my Savior. I'm going to repent from sin and I'm going to pursue Jesus and the life He gives. In that moment, we become the children of God. And what a beautiful picture that is. In Galatians chapter 4, it's described this way. And I think it's just a a wonderful, glorious way to describe what happens to us. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law. This is the story of the Bible. God made us to be in harmony. But what happened? The fall. There was sin. So what did God do? He made a promise that He would come and rescue us. So Jesus has come under the law, lived a holy life, God in flesh. He died to pay for our sin. 
And so now all who believe in Him, believe in His resurrection, believe in His life, receive His life into themselves, become and receive adoption as sons. We become the children of God. And we enter into God's eternal family. Now, is is true of all families. There are expectations. We need to understand that being a member of God's family, that, that brings with it expectations. Listen, when, you, when you're an orphan out in the streets of sin, living any way you want to, you, you do. You, you just live any way you want to. But when you come into the family of God, when you come into God's family, and God is your Father, the Father guides you in truth. The Father has expectations for His children. One of the greatest expectations that God has for His children is that we be a part of His family business. God's family business is bringing love and light to a dark, needful world. That's the most important thing any of us can do. That is God's family business, and it's intense, and that's what God expects of us. He also expects us to fight against the enemy of the family. Satan is our enemy. He hates us. He hates us because we're made in the image of God. But now that we have been born again, now that we are children of the living God, He hates us all the more. And we should anticipate the intensity of His hatred. And to overcome that intensity of His hatred, we're going to have to have an intense hope. And that intense hope is revealed as we live out God's expectation of, of being in the family business, of sharing His light and His love into the world, of fighting against the darkness, and then dealing with the challenges of being a peacemaker in his family. Listen, all families have conflict. All families have conflict. Your family, the church family, is going to have conflict. That's not the issue. The issue is not that we all agree, that we all look the same, talk the same. That's not God's conformity is not unity. God wants us to be who we uniquely are. And when we are who we are, that means sometimes we're not going to agree. What is not acceptable is that we let conflict divide us. That is not acceptable. God's expectation is that there be peacemaking, that there be reconciliation. doesn't mean we're going to agree. What it does mean is that we love each other, that we treat each other with respect and the honor that God has given us with the blood of Christ. Another expectation that comes with all of this is that we choose to overcome the challenges and the doubts and the things that, that the enemy and our flesh bring against us. That we choose to stay the course. Because here's the temptation. The temptation is to go back to the life of an orphan. The temptation is to run away. And those who run away, they bring upon themselves great consequences. And we see that consequence of what happens when someone runs away and goes back to orphan life in our text today. And so today, I want you to anticipate... Anticipate something happening. If you're comfortable today in your Christian life, I want you to understand something's going to happen today. You're going to get afflicted. You're not going to be comfortable when you leave here. Today, if you come in and you're afflicted and you don't feel comfortable and and you're you're sensing the need for God to do something else, you're going to be greatly comforted today. So understand that that one of two things are going to happen. Either in your comfort you're going to be afflicted, and in your affliction you're going to be comforted. And I don't know which one is going to happen, but something's going to happen, and I want you to go ahead and get ready for it. So let's take out our Bibles. If you've got your Bible, and I hope that you do, take it out and turn with me now to 1 John chapter 2. If you didn't bring one, there's a Bible right in front of you in that pew. Feel free to use it. We're in 1 John chapter 2, and we're in something of a controversial verse today. Verse 19 going to require some explanation, and I want you to to really stay with me. 
I'm not going to be able to give complete clarity on every point, but I am going to be able to address uh, the, the heart of what's at stake here and speak to the hope that's going to be required of us to live out the expectation the Father has. Let's all stand together in honor of God's Word, and Hope Cassidy's going to come read for us. The daughter of uh, Matt and Emily Cassidy, and we're honored to have her today to read for us. You ready? We're in First John chapter 2, verse 19. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would, co- would have continued with us. But they went out, that it might be complained that they are all not of us. Father, we, as we look at this text, God, I know that some read that and, and their heart begins to, to speed up because they think, wow, this, this, is a, this is one of those texts. And there's others who say, oh, good, I need to understand this. God, I pray whether today we need comfort or affliction that we receive from your Spirit, whatever it is you have for us, and that we respond in faith. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you, Hope. If you would, go ahead and be seated. And some dear friends who were a part of an adoption ministry, and they became aware of a family in East Africa where the mother and father had contracted AIDS and died. And it was a rather large family, uh, uh, several siblings together, and they adopted all of them. And it took time to do that. And, and during that space of time, there were a lot of challenges. There was a lot of hurt. There was a lot of fear. Um, it was just really hard. And almost all the children transitioned well except the oldest. And, and he really struggled. He appreciated all that this family had to offer him, but he was conflicted. He appreciated that he was no longer an orphan. He appreciated he was an adopted child, but he was filled with hurt and doubts and questions, and he didn't like the answers he was being given about the way things were and the way things were going to be. came to a point where he began to pull away from the family. He stopped talking. He even stopped having meals with them. He stopped playing with his other siblings, and he began to isolate himself. And he began to talk about how he imagined his old life would have been if he could have remained there in East Africa, if he could have been a part of what was going on there, he began to long for that life, and he began to get more and more frustrated to the point came when he ran away. Thankfully, he didn't get too far. Thankfully, it wasn't too very long. But they were able to bring him back home, and it took time. And it took a lot of conversations and a lot of prayer. Now, there's no guarantee that he's going to stay. He may run away again. There's no guarantee that if he becomes an adult, he's going to continue down the path that this family has instructed him him in. But one thing is for certain, he's been loved. He's been given a home. He's been given the opportunity to experience the fullness of, of what it is to be fathered. But there's no guarantee. So it is in the church today. There are many who are just like this young man. They appreciate what God has done, but they don't trust God. They don't trust Him. Trust Him enough to obey Him. Trust Him enough to take Him at His word and to pursue Him. They are filled with hurts and doubts and questions, and they don't like the answers that they're being given. They don't like what the expectations of God are. They want to be able to find their own expectations. They want the life that they can imagine that they can have. And rather than pursuing all that the Father has for them, they are now imagining what they could get outside of God's family. And they're beginning, if not already, beginning to pursue that way of life. And they begin, if not already, in the process of pulling away from the family. And this is what some are doing now. Some of you are beginning to do now. 
You're beginning not to attend worship. There's some who, who have dropped out of worship altogether, not connecting in the church family. That is, you don't have relationships with people who know you and love you, who you're studying the Word with, where there's accountability. You're not serving. You're not stepping into a role to, to make an impact for the family business and God's family business in the world. And, and so there are those who are beginning to withdraw. And as they withdraw, the imagination begins to run. The temptation begins to, to come strongly. And the desire to run away becomes overwhelming. And that is what some do. They run away from God. They run away from the Father who loves them. They run back to the streets of sin where they live as those who are orphans to God, lost, without a guide, without eternal hope, with no enduring purpose. There are consequences to that. Those who run away, there's a great loss. And today I want us to look at what the text says about that. And for some of you, this will afflict you. For some of you, the opportunity of seeing the restoration will comfort you. But let's look at it with whatever eyes and whatever ears the Lord gives today. Write it down. Understand, when when people run away from God's love, they abandon the only true source of hope. It says here, they went out from us, but they were not of us. The only true source of hope is having our identity in Christ. If your identity is not in Christ, if you are not of Christ, if you are not of God's family then you're going to have to derive your hope from something. And it's typically going to be one of three things. It's going to be in something you can own, something you can do, or a perception you can create. And you need to be careful. If you are so caught up in, in, in what it is you have, if you are so caught up in, in what, it is that you, what it is you do and, and how it is you perform and how it is people perceive you, if your hope comes from those things, you need to be very concerned very concerned on many levels. One being the fact that what you're putting your hope in won't give you hope. See, sooner or later, that thing that, that you think defines you, that car, that house, uh, that jewelry, that, that, the, the, the clothing you wear, the, the, the way you style yourself, all those things that, that, that make you feel important, sooner or later those things are going to change. Sooner or later those things are going to be lost. Sooner or later they're going to lose their glamour and you're going to lose your hope. If your hope is found in in what you do and what you can accomplish, you don't have a lasting hope. Some of you men, some of you ladies, you want to work. Some of you want to have children. You want your children to prove your existence, to prove you matter. Some of you children, you want want to be known for your, your academic or your athletic or your artistic achievements. And so that's why you want to be defined, and that's your hope. If you can't date the right person, if you you can't make the right grade, if you can't get the right position, if you can't sing the song right, if you you can't, you know, accomplish that position at your job, if you can't reach a certain income, then you say to yourself, I have no hope. You say to yourself, I feel like I could die. I'm so empty. I don't have this thing that makes me feel important. And what you've done is you've put your hope in something that won't give you hope eternally. You've given yourself a, a, a way of life that leads to only dismay and disappointment. And, and there are those who say, you know what, it's not about what I can do. It's, it's not even about what I have. Some, it really is, you just want other people to accept you. 
Your goal is to have people accept you. And you know, some of you, you say, how do you know? Because you're willing to do most anything necessary. Give up your purity, give up your reputation, give up your conscience to be able to be accepted into the opinion of those who are around you. And no sooner than you have done that and you have everyone say, hey, you can come with us. Hey, you can come sit with us. Hey, you can go hang with us. Hey, you can come to this party. Hey, you can be a part of this cool club. Hey, you can, you can kind of identify with us. You know, you can be, no sooner you do that, you realize how empty it is and you have no hope. God wants our hope to be in Him alone. He wants our hope to be the fact that our sin is pardoned and we have an eternal place in His heaven. He wants our identity to be found in His holiness. The fact that He has made us righteous by His blood. That our value comes because we know that we are blood-bought children of the King of Heaven. He wants us to know that we are loved eternally. There will never be a moment that you are not loved and valued. And that there is never anything that you will go through that He won't go through it with you and be your strength and be your rock and be your hope and be your love and be your joy and be your peace. There is nothing else in this world or in in, in all of creation that can do for you what only God can do. And if your hope is not in Him, then you, you don't really have a hope. And your identity is lost. And you'll run away from God. And your running away only proves that you never had a hope in Him. They went out from us, but they were not of us. Because their identity wasn't in Christ. And when they leave, they leave a hole in the family of God. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. When a person leaves a marriage or a family, it's devastating to that marriage and to that family. There's always a hole that is left, and quite honestly, often we don't hear about it until the person is coming basically to ask permission to go ahead and run. And I want to tell you, if you're in a marriage, stay in it. Stay. Continue on. And understand that if you leave, if you run away, it's going to create a hole. And so it is in our church family. If you're a child of the living God, don't run away. Don't flee this this glorious grace. Don't try and pursue happiness and hope in anything other than Him. Because if you do, not only are you going to to, to lose, not only are you going to lose this, this, this glorious source of hope, but you're going to leave a hole in this family of faith. You're going to leave this, this, this ache. And, and I know you don't think that, that you matter. You do. You do matter. And, and if you're not serving, if you're not leading in worship, if you're not contributing, if you're not making a, a, this family of faith stronger as God expects you to be, then start doing it. And if you're being tempted to fall away from that, don't do it. You're going to leave a hole. You're going to be like I was when before I came to Christ and, and we would have student projects. I, used, I hated now. when I, After I became a Christian, I hated having group projects because there were always guys like me before I became a Christian who would be in my group. And they'd come in and be like, yeah, what's the group project? Okay, what are you all going to do? <laughs> don't do anything. Show up. Don't care about the grade. Don't want to participate. Just there. Just to slack off. And what they're saying is, this doesn't matter. It's not important. And how it impacts you doesn't matter to me because all I care about is me. And when you do that to a church family, not only do you dishonor the people, you dishonor the God. Because see, when you leave that hole, what you're saying to the other believers here is, this doesn't really matter. 
what's really important is how much money you can make or how much fun you can have or, or what kinds of uh, things that you can pursue and prove uh, about yourself to other people and, and, and how cool and popular you can become. When you abandon the family of faith and you pursue things outside of the family of God as your source of hope, what you're saying to those who remain is you're making a bad decision and you're creating doubt and you're creating a hole where others, where you should be there serving, where you should be there praying, where you should be there sharing, where you should be there saying, yes, this is the way. Let's walk in it. Instead, there's emptiness. There is no sound. There is no person there. Why? Because you've run away. And it leaves a hole. And worse than that for you, those who run away, they lose their assurance of salvation. Their assurance. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not of us. They are not all of us. Those who abandon the way, the truth, and the life have no reason to be assured of salvation. Does that mean they're not saved? I get this question all the time. So is this person, is my child not saved? Is my, is my grandson not saved? Is my friend not saved? Is my dad not saved? Is my friend not saved because they're living in, in such and such way apart from God? And here's the response. I don't know. I don't know. Say, well, what good are you? Not much. But let me tell you what the Word says, which is of great value. 2 Timothy 2.19. And, and let me encourage you to do this. If that's your Bible where, where you have 1 John 2.19 open, right next to it, 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 2 Timothy 2.19. I always connect 1 John 2.19 and 2 Timothy 2.19. Because in 1 John 2.19, of course, we see the Word of God speaking to those who are not His. In 2 Timothy 2.19, we have an understanding of, of God's knowledge. It says, but God's firm foundation stands bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His. Who is saved? Who is truly saved? The Lord knows. Here's the thing. Some of you are in church. You've been in church all your life. And you know the church stuff. And if someone asks me, are they saved? Well, of course they're saved. I could be wrong. Some of you are flaking. You're living a ridiculous life. You are not walking with God. You are not pursuing Him. Someone says, is that person saved? I don't know. I could be wrong. The Lord knows. The Lord knows those who are His. How can we have any assurance? Well, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. How do you know? How do you have an assurance of salvation? You're pursuing the family business. You're pursuing getting God's love out into the world. You're pursuing holiness. You're pursuing God's purpose. Only God knows those who are His. Everyone who names Christ and pursues and recovers God's design has an assurance of that salvation. If you're not pursuing God's design for your life, there's every reason for you to be afflicted right now. There's every reason for you to be concerned about your own salvation. There's every reason for you not to be assured if you're not seeking God's design for your life which is His holiness, His love, and His purpose to bring salvation to the world. Now, for those who would say today, I am seeking Christ. I am pursuing God's design. It's important that you understand God's expectation. For those who are His, those who are His children, to be a child of God means that we're saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. We've been given a glorious inheritance where our sin is forgiven. Heaven is our home but we have responsibilities. There are clear expectations that God has 
for His children. It's important that we understand what they are and that we live them, that we live out these expectations. Take note of two of them. The first one is this. God expects His faithful children to live hopeful and be helpful by seeking out the lost children of God. Here's the good news. God is going to save His children. Scripture makes it clear that God is sovereign. That God is going to redeem His children. And when they hear His voice, they will repent. They will leave where they are and they will believe. That is, they will follow Jesus. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10. My sheep hear My voice and I know them and they follow Me. And I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of My hand. Those who are God's children, there comes a point they, they begin to hear the voice of God through the Word of God. And they're drawn by the Spirit of God. And they are radically saved. But understand, how does it happen? It happens through the proclamation of the Word of God. And what sustains us? Make no mistake about it. It's the love of God. What is it that maintains, what perseveres that in order to us to know that our salvation will never be lost? It's the love of God. Romans chapter 8 clearly articulates this. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Once we are saved, if we are saved, we are always saved by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. And the assurance of that salvation is a life that is pursuing His glory, His goodness, a life that rejects iniquity. How is it that we come to pursue this life? How does anyone come to pursue this life? It's only through the proclamation of the Word of God. Again, back to Romans chapter 10. What, what does the Scripture say? How then will they call on Him whom they have not believed? This is, these are rhetorical questions. And how are they to believe in Him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach and unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. This is our responsibility. This is God's expectation that we take the Gospel to our places where we live, where we work, where we learn, where we play, to the ends of the earth. And we take the Gospel to those who have never heard some of the lost children of God are people who are living in Southern Europe and East Asia and West Africa and Southern Africa and, and some who are living right here in Bowling Green, Kentucky. This morning at the 8 o'clock service, there was a person here who had never heard the message I preached, had never been in church in his life, and had never had anyone articulate the gospel until today. There are those all around us who need to hear the gospel, people where you live, where you work, where you learn, where you play. And we have a responsibility to go to them. Now, there are some, like some of you here today, who've been raised in church. You've been exposed to the gospel, but you've not been transformed by it. And there's no way to restore you because you've never been transformed. You're lost. You've been around this gift. You've been around this power but it's never changed you, so there's no way we can restore you to it. It's something that you have to be transformed by. Hebrews 6 articulates this in a very powerful, potent way. For it is impossible in the case of those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit, and have tasted the goodness of the Word of God and of the powers of the age to come. People who show up to church, 
for people who just who've been in church, who've been exposed to all that God is, and then have fallen away to restore them again to repentance. When when you've been around this, and, and you and you fall away from it, we can't we can't bring you back to something that was never in you. You're lost. You're lost. Since they are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding Him up to contempt. There are those who have been brought up in this church or other churches who have been around the heavenly gift, who have been around the greatness of God, but they've never been transformed by it. Please understand, there's, there's a big difference between being exposed and transformed by the gospel. Every year, around February or so, almost every one of us is exposed to the flu, right? I mean, almost all of us are. But not everyone's transformed by it, are they? There are those who are transformed by it, and how do we know they're transformed by it? Because they look messed up, right? And as Southern people, we go to them and we say, you look awful. Bless your heart. And we, and, and we see that they, they have been changed. They look different. They feel different. They live different. Now, what about the people who've been exposed but not transformed by the flu? They live like everybody else. They look like everybody else. They feel like everybody else. What about with the gospel? Those who are transformed by the gospel, they look like Jesus. They feel like Jesus. They live like Jesus. What about those who have only been exposed to the gospel? Well, they look like lost people. They feel like lost people. They live like lost people. And our responsibility is to take the gospel to them. Our responsibility is to take the gospel to the end of the earth and to the end of the pew and to share with those who are lost, who are the lost children of God, the good news of God. But then there are also those who are not lost children, they're struggling children. And understand, write it down, God expects His faithful children to live hopeful and be helpful, seeking out the struggling children of God, but we've got to be so careful when we do this. So careful. Galatians chapter 6. Look what it says. The warning here. If anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness, keeping watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. If someone is in sin and you're a believer, your job is to go and hold them accountable. Your job is to go and love them. But you've got to be so careful that you don't fall into the same sin. That you don't, you don't get tempted by the very things that they're doing. And when you go, the way you go is so important. You've got to go the right way. You say, how do I know the right way? There's three ways to go. There's three ways to go. We, we read about this in, what is it? It's 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Make sure you know this first. Know this one, church. Parents, know this one. Friends, know this one. Married couples, know this one. Grandparents, know this one. And we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle. The ones who are apathetic to God, the ones who are living in sin, admonish them. What does that mean? That means that you tell them the truth and you do it forcefully. You do it directly. You do it with love, but you tell them. You tell them the honest truth. What you're doing is wrong. You admonish them. But you don't admonish everybody. You admonish the idle. You encourage the faint-hearted. Those who say, I know, I know, I know, I know I'm wrong. I know what I'm doing is wrong. They don't need you to keep admonishing them. They need you to encourage them. 
tell them, God's grace is sufficient. God's power can overcome. Be faithful to the Lord. Encourage them. And then there are those who are just weak. You've got to help them. There are those who say, I know, I want to. I just, I don't have the strength. I can't do it. Help them. Where are they tempted? Help them overcome that temptation. Speak to that temptation. Show up when they're going to be tempted. Help them. Love them enough to help them. Whether they need to be admonished or encouraged or helped, be patient with them all. We're all at different places. We all have different struggles. We're all prone to different weaknesses. We are all responsible for one another in this family. Now, there, there, there does come a point in every church where there are those who claim Christ, who so separate themselves that they run away. And in that point, there, there comes a point where you as a church family, where you as a member have gone to that person and they've rejected the grace that God has given. And you have to let the church know. And you have to let the leaders know. And there is a point where church leaders, where elders will get involved and where we will come to a person and we will basically say, we see where you're going. We see what you're saying. You don't want to pursue Christ. You don't want to live for Christ. We still love you. And we're going to treat you the same way we would anyone else who's running from God. We're going to chase after you with the love and the grace of the gospel of God. Matthew 18, verse, challenge of church discipline. I like the way the message says it. If you won't listen to the church, you'll have to start over from scratch, confront him with the need for repentance, and offer again God's forgiving love. That's what you do with someone who's running away from God. That's what you do with someone who's living in terrible sin. That's what we do with people who say, don't call me anymore, don't text me anymore. I recently had a person that I've had many conversations with, served in ministry with, actually texted me back and said, don't contact me ever again. I sent him a text, told him I loved him, I'd be calling him later. I answered to a higher call. This is what the church does. This is God's expectation. We love. We love the same way God loves us. How many of you can remember when God's Spirit first moved on you and you said, no thanks God, not interested? I didn't respond the first time I heard the gospel. It took months. There are going to be others who are going to need patience. Some you will have to admonish. Some you will have to encourage. Some you'll simply have to help. But be patient with all. Understand, whether they are lost or struggling children of God, their need is the gospel. The good news that God loves them. The good news that there's God's design, even though there's brokenness because of sin, if they will repent and believe, they can pursue and recover God's design. So here's my question for you. Where are you in this? Where are you in this process? Are you a person who for the first time needs to acknowledge your sin and brokenness and repent and believe the gospel and be saved? Whether this is your first time in church or your hundredth time or your thousandth time in church, where are you? Are you saved by grace to fight faith in Christ alone? Is He your hope or is your hope in something else? Some of you need to pursue God's design. Some of you are getting lazy in your spiritual life. You're not sharing the hope with those who are hopeless and helpless. You're just going through the motions in your own spiritual life. You need to repent. You need to repent and believe the power of the gospel and pursue and recover God's design. 
This morning, some of you need to come and get on your knees and ask God to do a, a, a new work in your life. Some of you to be saved. Some of you to be renewed. Some today, you're mindful of those you care about. Maybe they're friends. Maybe they're family. And you don't know if they're lost children or struggling children. You really don't know if they're saved or not. But you know that the hope that they have won't last. And they need the living hope of Christ. I want to invite you to do two things today. One, to come and pray for them. Two, ask God to give you the word to either admonish, encourage, or help and to be patient, and to do what you're expected to do as a child of God. Let's stand together as we pray. Lord, a lot of words have been said today, and, and Lord, I know that when that happens, sometimes we can kind of lose sight of the personal aspect of this. But God, I, I know that there are some who are here today who are not saved. They're not, they're not living for you. They're not redeemed by your grace. They're, they're running. And I pray today they'll come get on their knees and stop running and start start believing and trusting and following you, Lord Jesus. God, I pray for some of your children today who they've lost sight of the purpose of the plan of the family. And they're, they're beginning to get out and away from you. God, I pray today they'll come and they'll say, Lord, here I am. Send me. I, I'm, I'm going to be serious about this family business, about being who it is you died for me to be. And God, for those who are going to be lifted up today who need to be saved or maybe need to be assured in their salvation, hear the prayers of those who come and give them encouragement today to be that hand, to be the mouthpiece of Christ, to be your servant, to take the good news to those who need it. God, do a work right now as we respond in faith in Jesus' name. Amen.